0: fantasy Super Bowl is upon us. It's here. Two pieces of advice if you are in the fantasy championship game. One, do not overthink this. Do not bench Alshon Jeffrey for Kendall Wright if Minnesota loses because then Philly may sit their starters. <laughs> Think about the regret factor. If you don't start Alshon Jeffrey and he plays well, and the difference between Alshon Jeffrey and Kendall Wright costs you the championship. How bad will you feel? If you play Alshon Jeffrey and Kendall Wright outscores him by a wide enough margin to determine the outcome of your championship game matchup, how bad would you feel in that case? Not bad. Because you go to our projections on playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. We don't have Kendall Wright projected to score more points than Alshon Jeffrey. You have to assume that coaches are going to play their players the full complement of snaps in Week 16. It's a very rare thing that players are rested for meaningful snaps multiple quarters in Week 16. The problem is you've had all week to think about it. You're obsessing over it. You're anxious. And when you're in this heightened, anxiety-laden state of mind, that's the moment when you make bad decisions, when you overthink. Don't even... Think about your fantasy team until Sunday morning. And at this point, you do not bench the players that got you there unless they have an egregious matchup. I don't love Brandon Cooks this week against Tredavious White. We have Tredavious White as a top five cornerback on our cornerback rankings. But I'm not benching Brandon Cooks for Kendall fucking right. You don't just go to the waiver wire, pick up the best available player, and consider playing him over an Alshon Jeffrey or a Brandon Cooks an established starter on your fantasy team. That's just not how championships are won. And it's a recipe for an offseason full of regret. And the difference in regret factor, when you compare playing Kendall Wright versus playing Alshon Jeffrey, enormous. It's a chasm. I don't love Julio Jones against Marshawn Lattimore, but I'm playing him. It could be a shootout. You have to play Julio Jones. If there's one wide receiver that got you here that you need to bench... It's Marquise Goodwin. You can't play Marquise Goodwin against Rambo. You just can't do it. We're projecting Marquise Goodwin to score less fantasy points this week than consensus. Why? Because of course we are. How could you not significantly reduce expectations on Marquise Goodwin this week? Yes, you're playing Kendall Wright over Marquise Goodwin. Yes, you're playing DeeDee Westbrook over Marquise Goodwin. Yes, you're playing Mike Wallace over Marquise Goodwin. Yes, yes, yes. But not Robbie Anderson because Robbie Anderson also has a damn near impossible matchup and his quarterback is Bryce Petty. So Robbie Anderson will either see Casey Hayward, a top three cornerback on the player profiler cornerback rankings, or Trevor Williams, a top seven cornerback on our rankings. That's as close to Rambo as you'll find among NFL cornerback duos. So once you get down to the Robbie Andersons, then you can say, okay, gotta play Marquise Goodwin. Because a long touchdown, even against A.J. Boye and Jalen Ramsey, is in Marquise Goodwin's range of outcomes. That's how we can at least project him to score double-digit points this week. And without that, he'd be projected into the single digits. Because I haven't seen Jimmy Garoppolo play against even a good defense yet, much less a generational defense, which is what this Jaguars defense looks like. When you have the best run defense and the best pass defense, and you're the best pass defense by a very wide margin, then you're flirting with the elite defense of our time moniker. And that's why we have Jimmy Garoppolo ranked outside our top 24 behind even Mitchell Trubisky. Yes, it's true. I mean, Garoppolo did play against an above average defense in the Chicago Bears and in that game he did not crest 300 yards he did not throw a touchdown but he did have a turnover he scored 11.5 fantasy points that week that was number 26 in the NFL what (laughs) Jimmy Garoppolo had a full game this season outside the top 25 fantasy quarterbacks yeah it was just a couple weeks ago you recency bias soaked drones running out to best case scenario celebrating the next It quarterback after two good games against Houston and Tennessee? I mean, that ain't me. (laughs) Because I am loyal to probability theory. That is where my loyalties lie. I am a fan of mean reversion and exposing small sample fallacies in sports. Because that is where my fandom lies. I would like nothing more than to see all the analysts waving the Jimmy Garoppolo flag, To go ahead and play him blindly this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Matchup be damned. Rambo be damned. And to see him score five fantasy points. And for all of those individuals to lose their matchup because of that. Because they could have played Joe Flacco instead. Because that's who I'm streaming this week. If you can't stream Nick Foles, if he was already scooped up off the waiver wire, you got to play Joe Flacco this week. Not Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't normally need to come on this program and insist that members of this audience, the most sophisticated audience in fantasy football, insist that they not play an unproven quarterback facing the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's not something that I ever feel obliged to do on the show, but I've never seen a quarterback so hyped in so few games as Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's fascinating because I thought San Francisco had one of the genius coaches in Kyle Shanahan. And fantasy gamers and sports fans are so fickle about where they allocate credit. So in Los Angeles, down the coast, the credit does not flow to Jared Goff. Oh no, oh no, 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 no. That's that's Sean McVay's team. Sean McVay is the reason behind the Rams' resurgence. You have to point to one factor driving the high performance of this Rams offense. It is Sean McVay. But 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 in San Francisco, it's not Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he was the it genius coach last year, but we were very fickle, and we've moved on. Now we've decided it's Jimmy Garoppolo that he's the reason. Because before Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan was a bust. Kyle Shanahan was exposed with C.J. Beathard. It's almost like these offensive coordinators are only as good as the players they have. Oh, what? <laughs> but how? I thought the players were equivalent, and the performances you saw in the field were just in the mind of the offensive coordinator. The smarter the offensive coordinator, the better the offense played. I thought that was the determining factor. No, no, is this what? I'm, wait, wait. Jimmy Garoppolo's the reason now? Okay, wait. So Kyle Shanahan's just a guy. Is Jimmy Garoppolo's team in San Francisco? But in Los Angeles, no. Jared Goff is just a guy, and that's. Sean McVeigh's team.
1: <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. The season needs to be over
0: because going back through time, you always think this is the final year of the droning coach centric analysis. But oh no, no, no. There's always someone new ready to step forward. It was Kyle Shanahan six months ago. Now it's Sean McVeigh. We'll have a new candidate to fill these Sean McVay shoes six months from now after Sean McVay is blamed for some epic collapse in the playoffs. I have no idea what will happen, but ultimately something happens to the genius coach and he eventually gets blamed for some egregious performance and his reputation can never recover. (laughs) I mean, narratives. I just feel like every day I walk to work in a windstorm and the wind is always in my face. There's always this 50-mile-per-hour headwind that I'm walking into, that I am tilted forward into the wind, and that wind is just sports narrative, and I'm just walking into it at an angle because it's just so strong and constant every morning when I go to work and I go to write an article or I go to record a podcast. (laughs) But some of you aren't in your fantasy championship game. Some of you are playing DFS this week. This is the week to try draft. Go to playdraft.com, go to your app store, get the draft app, and you can set up a one-week fantasy team using the snake draft format. You can set up a one-week fantasy league with friends or join an existing league in the lobby. You can join a 6-team league, you can join a 10-team league, a 2-team league, it doesn't matter. It's fast, easy, it's the way to play fantasy sports, really. The salary cap method, where all the pros are playing some iteration of the same lineup a million times, isn't for a lot of people. And if you're one of those people, I would suggest going, getting draft, when you sign up, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get free entry into your first contest. And across DFS... I'm playing Nick Foles this week. Nick Foles has both a high floor and a high ceiling against the Raiders. And yes, Nick Foles will be playing a full complement of snaps no matter what happens in the Vikings game. Overthinkers. Can we get more people in the middle of the fantasy community standard deviation? Can we get more people moving toward the middle? Because on the one end, you have people that don't want to think and want me to run their fantasy team sending me start-sit decisions. Then you have on the other end people... Just perpetually overthinking every aspect of each player that could possibly drive performance, and they lose perspective. Just zoom out and follow the targets. Zoom out and follow the targets. This has been the mantra all season. That's why this is the week of the Steelers streamer. And it just makes sense. Why? Because the Steelers lost one of the NFL leaders in target share, right? Antonio Brown won't play this week. That's an incredibly important event. It now goes without saying because we all know about the injury and he's going to miss week 16. He was ruled out days ago. But the importance of this can't reverberate enough. 162 targets have been vacated. A 30% target share in that passing game has been eviscerated, vaporized. What does that mean? That means everyone in that Steelers passing game is a strong play this week including Ben Roethlisberger in tournaments because he plays the Texans who were just shredded by Blake Bortles of all players and without Antonio Brown there's uncertainty around Roethlisberger so ownership will be suppressed and if you want a deep sleeper Drew Stanton they play the Giants who give up the most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks and all he has to do is just Throw the ball to Larry Fitzgerald. Just throw the ball to Larry Fitzgerald over and over and over again. Get him 15 targets, and he'll be fine. If Drew Stanton targets Larry Fitzgerald 15 times, Drew Stanton will be fine. He can also just launch the ball deep to J.J. Nelson occasionally and potentially enjoy the benefits of a long touchdown. Now at the running back position, no Rex Burkhead. What does that mean? That means Deion Lewis is a cash game play. Deion Lewis is the best cash game play on the board. What else is changing at the running back position? Oh, Joe Mixon's back. He's back from a concussion. When players return from concussion, they're more likely to return to a full opportunity share and operate at 100% efficiency because they did not suffer an injury to their lower extremities. It's not like Joe Mixon's ankle or knee, foot was compromised. So while concussions are in many ways the worst possible injury for an NFL player outside of a spinal cord injury or an injury to their internal organs. Chris Sims almost died on the field from a ruptured spleen. But other than that, the concussion is incredibly damaging. But for fantasy football purposes, for performance purposes, you'd rather the player be coming back from a concussion than a lower body injury. We have some breaking news. <laughs> Samajay Ryan left Thursday's practice with a groin injury. Now, Jay Gruden said it's only a minor injury, but when a player leaves practice midweek with a new injury or an injury recurrence, there is a high probability that player does not play the following Sunday. Look at that Washington running back depth chart. If you're a free agent running back and you go back to the beginning of the season, that was the team to sign with. And we knew that because we knew Rob Kelly was just a guy. P Ryan marginally better not an exceptional talent, Chris Thompson, the prototypical satellite back. So there was opportunity on that Washington depth chart all along. And now no Chris Thompson, no Rob Kelly, potentially no Samaj AP Ryan. I wish this was the depth chart that Jeremy McNichols would have landed on, but no, we see now rising to the starting running back chair for Washington. Oh, it's Capri Bibbs. It's Capri Bibbs. And a year ago, I would have lamented Capri Bibbs being inserted into a starting role in the NFL no longer. No longer. I am now a simple pragmatist with running backs in fantasy football. I'm a running back pragmatist. It doesn't matter that Capri Bibbs only runs a 4 6 it doesn't matter that he has a first percentile burst score and a second percentile agility score that he may be the least athletic running back in the NFL, potentially the history of the NFL, because... He's small also. It's one thing if you're big like Rob Kelly and you're unathletic. He's small and unathletic. It's hard to be a professional athlete and have so little speed and quickness and explosion, but somehow Capri Bibbs does it. And none of it matters because he'll be operating as the primary back on an NFL offense that features the running back in the passing game. And he has more targets this year than he does carries. So now you give him carries and targets. On Washington, he has a 10-point floor with a 20-plus-point ceiling. So if Sabaje Pirine does not play, Capri Bibbs is your free square running back in fantasy football this week. At the wide receiver position, both Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant are free squares. And we're going to talk to a DFS expert today, Ben Cummins. The co-host of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast will be on, and we will talk about Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant. Is Martavis Bryant a cash game play? I don't think so. I will never, ever trust Martavis Bryant in cash. I'll ask Ben Cummins what he thinks. Because I think you can make the argument that Eli Rogers is more reliable in the absence of Antonio Brown. If you must stream a wide receiver this week, strongly consider... Eli Rogers, he's still a forgotten man even without Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh, but he looks like a prototypical NFL slot receiver. Really nothing going for him other than that 90th percentile agility score. And for a lot of slot receivers, that's all you need. 90th percentile agility and a prolific quarterback, and that's what Eli Rogers has. But is he a cash game play? No. I think Robert Woods is a cash game play, though. Absolutely. Robert Woods draws the Titans secondary. Last week, Garoppolo and Marquise Goodwin conspired to eviscerate this defense. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, why won't you people let me like Jimmy Garoppolo? Why must you have unreasonable expectations for this player? Jimmy Garoppolo looks like me if I were good looking. I want to like him. I want to envision myself in his shoes performing at the highest level. That's part of what fandom is. You're taking it away from me. By being unreasonable with your expectations of his performance. We should be celebrating. He's half man, half dreamsicle. He's stealing hearts on the sidelines. He's stealing the hearts right out of the chest cavity of his opponents. Just ask members of the Titans last week. Let me like this guy. Stop insisting he's the next Joe Montana. (laughs) I mean, stop it! We're not allowed to have the pleasant surprise in sports. No, the herd will run off to best-case scenario extremes and just take that away from us. Thanks a lot. I now have to rally around Jared Goff. And Jared Goff's go-to receiver is Robert Woods. Now, the matchup is particularly friendly for Robert Woods when he faces off against Adore Jackson. I'm not sure exactly how many snaps he'll face Jackson. Jackson may shadow Sammy Watkins. And this news just came across my desk. The other starting cornerback, LaShawn Sims, is out this week. So when Adore Jackson matches up with Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods will likely face Bryce McCain. Bryce McCain is the number 81 ranked cornerback on the player profiler cornerback rankings. Now, he does have a positive coverage rating, so McCain could be an upgrade over LaShawn Sims. We don't know. But whether it's Adore Jackson, whether it's Bryce McCain, or whether it's Logan Ryan, these are not high-end cornerbacks that robert woods jared goff's go-to receiver will be facing we know logan ryan is the best of the worst in tennessee and logan ryan may draw robert woods in a significant number of formations but when logan ryan shifts inside to cover cooper cup in three and four receiver sets that will happen at that point look for mcveigh to whisper into goff's headset because that's what's happening right that's what's been reported jared goff's not making any of his own decisions That he is just a puppet and Sean McVay is the puppeteer, right? So when Ryan shifts inside to cover Cooper Cop, I imagine Sean McVay whispering in Goff's headset, throw it to Robert Woods. And we should talk to Ben Cummins about Robert Woods because Ben Cummins came on this show six months ago. And identified Robert Woods as the best value wide receiver to own in the double digit round. So let's do it. Let's go talk to Ben Cummins. Follow him at Ben Cummins FF on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Ben Cummins. Oh, show favorite, Ben Cummins one of the hosts of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. Find him in the Fantasy Footballers Ultimate DFS Pass, Ben Cummins. Talk
2: to me. Matthew Kelly, show favorite. I think you're being a little too kind, but I am glad to be back. We had a fun time in the preseason, and now, you know, it's it's season's almost over. We get to kind of wrap it up, but also talk about the uh, fantasy championship and uh, get into some DFS action as well. There's a fantasy championship happening this week. Uh, I think so. I think I heard this the week. Yeah, I think so. I think I saw one or two tweets, but maybe I'm off. I think some people play titles are on the line. I think so. I think some people play in week 17, though, you know, so I think, yeah, week 17 is the major week, actually. Yeah,
0: no, (laughs) no one should be playing in a seasonal league in week 17, correct? Don't play in week
2: 17, guys. Just say no. A lot of the good players do not even play. They're benched because they don't need to play. Do not play in week 17. And if your commissioner has you doing that, get a new commissioner next year.
0: Just say no to week 17.
2: No. And I think when you ask about the Jeff Fisher question, I'm just going to laugh hysterically.
1: Don't, don't give it away. That's later in the show sheet. You're not supposed to be prepared.
0: Don't let them behind the curtain and see what's happening here.
2: This isn't going into the podcast, I thought. <laughs> That's a spoiler alert. What are you doing? I didn't think this was going into the
0: podcast. <laughs> to put that in the outtakes now. I can't let people hear this. We're rolling, Ben. We're rolling. So which player has been the most pleasant surprise for you this year?
2: Uh, So many, man. But I've got to go with Carson Wentz. Uh, 3,296 passing yards, 33 touchdowns, and only seven interceptions, compared to 16 touchdowns and 14 picks in his rookie year. Unfortunately, he got injured. But I always liked Carson Wentz. I just didn't know, you know, coming from the small school, is he going to take that next step? And I kind of thought that was going to be the case. But of course... You don't want to anoint somebody so quickly when he really didn't prove it as a rookie. But his yards per attempt goes from 6.2 as a rookie to 7.5. And it's really just what you see on film. The dude has poise, and his mobility really sets him apart and kind of puts him a little bit in that Russell Wilson class. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but um, he really impressed me this year, and I think he's going to be a stud in this league for years to come. I'm so upset that he got injured. He has
0: Russell Wilson level athleticism. This yes. is one of the great underappreciated traits of Carson Wentz. He has an 1101 agility score. Now, an 1101 agility score is exceptional. And when you factor in his size, 6'5", 237, he's one of the most agile players, not quarterback players in the Oof. NFL when you account for his size. It's amazing. He's amazing. Who else is amazing? Juju Smith-Schuster. He's been the most pleasant surprise to me because I thought Juju Smith-Schuster would be a year away. Right? You could say, oh, what about Devin Funches? Fuck, I wasn't surprised by Devin Funches. I told you this would happen with Devin Funches. Oh, what about Adam Thielen? No, I told you this would happen with Adam Thielen. Oh, what about Alvin
1: Kamara? I told you this was going to happen with Alvin Kamara, that Alvin Kamara would outscore Christian
0: McCaffrey, and that happened. But I am surprised about Juju Smith-Schuster because I was such a Juju Smith-Schuster advocate at USC Exceptional age-adjusted production at the college level, just dominant at age 19. You'll love that in your wide receivers. That's the most predictive quality of a college receiver, dominance at an early age. And he reaffirmed for me that that is the key data point for college wide receivers by producing as a rookie at age 20. So he started producing on an NFL field at age 20, and at this point in the season, he's a top 30 fantasy wide receiver, even though he began the season outside the starting lineup. So for him to grow and develop, not only as a football player, but also as an off-the-field personality, we have a personality! That's exciting! I'm just as excited about Juju Smith-Schuster, the social media personality as I am Juju Smith-Schuster, the star wide receiver that we now have in Pittsburgh. He just turned 21. If you own him in Dynasty, he's already a smash hit. Such a pleasant surprise, Juju Smith-Schuster. And then when we look forward to week 16, no Antonio Brown. That's sad. You can blame me for that. I was touting Antonio Brown's durability just last (laughs) week.
2: Just last week.
0: You can't Uh, make this up, Ben. You can't make it up. But that happened. And then, of course, what happened? Oh, he gets injured for the first time in five years in a regular season game. Of course. Because of course. Of course. So now we have Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant playing Houston this week. Yeah. Are they both must-starts?
2: Yeah, so when you take 163 targets and 101 receptions out of any offense, there's going to be a huge domino effect, right? And I think Juju Smith-Schuster, who has more receptions, more receiving yards, more touchdowns on fewer targets than Mark Tavis, I think he's a very good start against that Texans defense that you talked about. They rank 10th worst in pass DVOA, have allowed the six most passing yards on the season, and are tied for the second most pass touchdowns allowed on the year. And it always comes down to who your options are, of course. But I think Martavis Bryant makes a lot of sense, too, because after Le'Veon Bell, now Martavis Bryant has seen the most targets on the entire team. We both
0: love Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant this week, so you know what that
2: means. It's an Eli Rogers week. (laughs) That's
0: that's what's going to happen.
1: You know it,
0: Ben. You know it.
2: Yep. That's how it works, man. It
0: is safe to play Juju Smith-Schuster in both cash and, of course, GPPs. Absolutely. However, because of the presence of Eli Rogers and Le'Veon Bell's target dominance out of the backfield, I would hesitate to just pencil in Martavis Bryant. I would be very careful playing Martavis Bryant in cash. I wouldn't do it. I still believe, even in a starting role, against Houston, who is top three in fantasy points allowed to opposing wide receivers, and they're only getting worse. They just allowed Blake Bortles to throw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns without a turnover.
1: Without a turnover?
2: Without Marquise Lee.
1: Really? They allowed Blake Bortles to own them and they didn't get one turnover? How the
0: hell is that possible? I don't know. That's just the state of the Houston Texans secondary at this point. And even then, even in a starting role facing that secondary, I don't trust Martavis Bryant in cash ever. It's never going to happen. Even in this particular scenario, it's not going to happen. Love him in GPPs. Fuck Martavis Bryant in cash.
2: I agree. Don't play him in cash. It's 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 not safe enough.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, a DFS podcast host reaffirming my strong stance that Martavis Bryant is not a cash game play this week. Now, interesting tweet by John Machada. Follow him at J O N M A C H. OTA he writes next season will be Scott Linehan's third with Dak Prescott oh no anytime you lead off your tweet with the coach-centric analysis (laughs) you're getting my attention in a negative way so it continues Matthew Stafford in his third season with Linehan 5,000 yards 41 TDs Dante Culpepper in his third season with Linehan 4,700 yards 39 TDs 110 passer rating So John is implying that it's wheels up for Dak Prescott next year because of Scott Linehan. Anything wrong with that analysis, Ben? Anything you notice about the other quarterbacks John is linking to Dak Prescott and Scott Linehan? Any third
2: variable that we're missing here? Yeah, so I actually enjoy a good offensive coordinator and coaching stat. And I do find this interesting, but I'm not taking anything away from it whatsoever. This is a quiz. What about this is John missing? The stat in itself, like I said, I find interesting, but it's just one piece to the puzzle. The Lions and Vikings were past first offenses. And what else? What else did the Vikings and the Lions have? Calvin Johnson was a wide receiver with the Lions. Randy Moss was a wide receiver with the Vikings.
1: Yes! What do you think the reason is, John? You think it's Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson? You think they had a little bit to do with it? has a
2: little bit to do with it. No, no,
1: no, it can't be. It can't be Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson. No, they're irrelevant. They're not even mentioned in this tweet. It must be Scott fucking Linehan. (laughs) God damn it. Enough with the coach worshiping
2: that he can be the man with Zeke out. And that is literally not what happened at all. The Cowboys need to surround Dak with more talent. Dez is good. Dez is not on the level of Calvin Johnson or Randy Moss. And after Dez, you just have a bunch of walking bodies at this point. So no, there's way too much that needs to be discussed than just, Oh yeah, this is going to happen because of Scott fucking Linehan.
0: Yeah. Oh, Dak Prescott's going to be throwing to Ryan Switzer next year. That's going to be exciting. Yeah. Right up there with Randy. Moss and <laughs> Calvin Jones <sighs> I'm very worked up my blood pressure is very high I'm going to close this window with this John Machada tweet and never look at it again you talked earlier about Carson Wentz you love Carson Wentz I love Carson Wentz I think Carson Wentz was the engine that made the Eagles offense purr so without Carson Wentz can the Eagles still win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles
2: yeah, I think it was Carson once as well. I mean, so the Eagles currently have a first-round bye and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. We know that they have a good defense, they have a good offensive line, and they have a good running game.
0: Is their defense that good, really?
2: So they are a really good team, and Nick Foles came in, and he showed us that he you know, can be competent last week. Fantasy owners love that. But the problem is the NFC is so stacked, Manchin. That's it. There's so many good teams in the playoffs in general Give him the correct answer
0: sound. That's it. You nailed it.
2: Boom. Even if they were to make the Super Bowl, which I don't even see happening, then they're running up against New England or Pittsburgh. Maybe they win a game with Foles, but Foles putting multiple great games together against the best competition in the league. I just don't see it happening, which is unfortunate because with I'm with you. I love Carson Wentz and I feel like I might've been d- touting them as the favorite if Wentz was still out there.
0: Oh yeah. You also look like Carson Wentz. I appreciate that. He's a stud. He is a stud. I don't think the Eagles could beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in the Super Bowl either. (laughs) Let's go. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars would eat Nick Foles, and Nick Foles would show up later in the stool of the Jacksonville defense.
2: Right, right. They're the truth, man. They are the absolute truth, and it's been so fun to watch all year. Just to make sure everyone
0: understands what I meant by that, I meant that days after the Super Bowl, the Jacksonville Jaguars would shit out little pieces of Nick Foles. Literally shit him out. Yes. You want me to break this down for you in the simplest terms? (laughs) Nick Foles would be Jacksonville Jaguars defensive shit. (laughs) So looking at this week in fantasy, because we have to bend it back to this week in fantasy, people have championships to win. Some of them lost Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz got you there. Now you're streaming. Are you playing Nick Foles? Or are you playing Joe Flacco?
2: Yeah, so for for fantasy purposes, though, I'm still going Nick Foles. He gets to play at home. He has much better weapons. And one of the things hurting Flacco, and it's not like Jeremy Macklin has been very good this year, but Jeremy Macklin's not going to play. I never like... Um, when a starting weapon is out for a quarterback. So Foles clearly has the better weapons and he gets to play the Raiders defense. And we we just shit on the Texans defense. The Raiders rank dead last in past DVOA and they've allowed the 10th most passing yards in the season. And they've just been an atrocious team pretty much all year. So Still give me falls in this matchup between him and Flacco.
0: Even though Brock Osweiler posted more than 20 fantasy points in less than a full game against the Colts
2: last week. Man, that was one of the craziest things, but it really (laughs) does show you how bad, and that's why Flacco has to be in this conversation, the Colts' pass defense is. I mean, they were bad to begin with. They have nobody left in the secondary. Yeah, they were bad to begin with. Now there's no Rashad Melvin. There's no Vontae Davis. And (laughs) that just goes to show you the level of bad that they are, which is... Why I think that Mike Wallace and maybe somebody else we'll talk about in a bit are are interesting this week.
0: Oh, Mike Wallace, absolutely a strong GPP play this week and very flexible in the fantasy Super Bowl. And do not be shy about streaming Joe Flacco this week. Yes. He's been radioactive all year, but he's getting healthier. He had a bad back earlier in the year. He's playing better in the second half. And if you're going to play Flacco, this is the week to play him
2: three straight games of 268 plus passing yards and at least two touchdowns boom boom you're prepared I got you man listen to you
0: listen to you just firing in these
2: stats highly
0: relevant stats love it I'm enjoying the show already woof I also got that off my chest with the whole Scott Linehan's going to be the reason Dak Prescott has a resurgence next year John Machada pre-predicting it me getting out ahead getting enraged at it <laughs>
2: I'm glad you're feeling better. You already sound less stressed.
0: Right, and this is on the heels of the bad Dak Prescott analysis that we were treated to this year. That, well, the reason his play declined so sharply in the second half was that he didn't have Ezekiel Elliott. He didn't have Ezekiel Elliott keeping defenses honest. So, by that logic, with Ezekiel Elliott back this week, should we just play Dak Prescott
2: blindly? Yeah, I got this one wrong. Um, I'm very big into the injuries and like suspensions and things like that in DFS. And I'm a big fan of Dak Prescott. And I really thought that taking Zeke off the field was going to turn this this team into Dak's team and he was going to take the next step. And that is literally not what happened at all. So shockingly, Dak is better with Zeke. He's played eight games with Zeke this year and five without. And his numbers per game with Zeke in the lineup, 0.5 fewer interceptions, one more touchdown pass per game. .72 0.72 more pass yards per attempt and 38.2 more passing yards per game. So now he's at home. He gets a Seahawks defense that's missing Richard Sherman, missing Cam Chancellor. The secondary is vulnerable. And I'm actually really into this game for DFS purposes. Uh the over-under sits at 47 and a half points, and I see a lot of points being scored. So There's a lot of players I like in this game and GPPs. I like Dak. I like Dez. I like Russell Wilson. I like Doug Baldwin. And I am kind of buying into Zeke coming back and helping Dak a little bit just because the numbers show that. And that's the offense that Dallas wants to run. And for two years now, we've seen that Dak has, I mean, it's, it's efficiency, which is a little scary to buy into, but he has been at his best when Zeke is helping them get closer to the goal line and scoring more touchdowns, because of course that's where Dak's going to have rushing touchdowns as well and increase his upside.
0: Except Rod Smith and Alfred Morris have been more efficient than Ezekiel Elliott this year. They
2: have, they've been very good.
0: And we're talking about eight games over here, six games over here, not a big enough sample to draw conclusions from any kind of certainty. I think Dak Prescott is some combination of what we saw last year and what we've seen throughout this season It just so happens that his bad games came without Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, well. Oh, well. Dak Prescott faced one of the most challenging schedules for a quarterback this season. All those NFC East quarterbacks faced a gauntlet of difficult pass defenses. But fortunately, the Cowboys are facing the Seattle Seahawks at the right time. Yes, It's not just the schedule. It's when you face the teams on the schedule. You don't want to face the Seattle Seahawks in week one at full strength. You wanted to face the Seattle Seahawks this year in week 16. Yes. When their team has been the most ravaged by injury in the NFL. This is the week to play the Seahawks and then you get them at home. That's the reason you like Dak Prescott. Not because of the running back that's in the backfield. Right, I think that the defensive matchup is where the focus should be, regardless of who's playing running back.
2: Right, I, I think one of the problems is that, again, like I brought up earlier, he doesn't have very good weapons surrounding him at all, and Dallas is going to have to do a better job of doing that. But the reason why I just throw it out as a, a as a tournament play is because I think just a, so much of your competition is going to look at the schedule and see Seattle, and oh my gosh, I can't play Deck because he's been atrocious lately. But because the matchup is much better than it looks on paper and he's at home, this could be a week where the Dak and Dez stack pays off.
0: Yeah, I think the ownership will be lower on Dak this week than it should be. Exactly. And those that play him will play him based on flawed analysis, and they'll be right anyway. How many times does this happen where players get drafted in the summer or (laughs) played throughout the year for the wrong reasons, and they erupt anyway? And they reward these owners chasing coach narratives. Right. (laughs) Or in this case, playing quarterbacks based on the running back. Like, that matters. Now, the Browns have one of the worst coaches in the league. That's for certain. I mean, Evan Silva is on a crusade. Follow him at Evan Silva on Twitter against Hugh Jackson. He's banging that drum. I've never seen Evan Silva so upset at a coach. I mean, he is... Not holding back his criticism.
2: Not at all, and I love it.
0: Of Hugh Jackson, and we love it. This is my favorite Evan Silva. I love agitated Evan Silva. I want to go and (laughs) agitate him myself just to get him worked up so we can see maximum agitated Evan Silva. I love it. But when you zoom out and you look at the Browns, regardless of who's coaching, regardless of who the general manager is, just the team and where it's headed, do you think they're on the verge of becoming respectable?
2: Yeah, I do. I do. And uh you know they keep losing, but over the past couple of years they have been competitive in a lot of these losses and that absolutely does matter to me because you look at the Jaguars and in my opinion they were basically doing the exact same thing over the past couple of years. And boom, all of a sudden, look at them now. And this is the NFL where at least one team goes worst to first every single year in their division. And that's what we love about the parody. And, you know, you never know. And the Browns are building, uh, you know, very talented players on the roster, regardless of what the new GM says, get out of here. And they have all of these draft picks. And on top of that, they're in a division with an aging Ben Roethlisberger and then pretty two pretty average teams in the Ravens and the Bengals. So if they find that quarterback, and that's really all they need, and they have the draft picks to do it, and yes, they haven't been able to find it for 20-plus years or whatever it is, but if they find that quarterback, the rest of the roster is falling into place pretty nicely, and we could see a pretty quick transition to where all these people that, oh, The Browns will be terrible forever. No, it doesn't work that way. They are they're on the right track and sooner or later, and I think pretty fairly soon, you're going to be sitting there saying, whoa, whoa, what happened? I thought they were going to suck forever, and that's not the case.
0: The Browns are going to draft either Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold, depending on whether Sam Darnold comes out or not. I don't want them to do that. What I would rather the Browns do is take the best defensive player in the draft at number one, continue to stockpile talent on the defensive side of the ball, and then use the Texans draft pick to take Baker Mayfield.
2: Yes, now you're talking my language.
0: That's what I want to happen because Baker Mayfield should be the number one overall pick, but he won't be because of his size and his colorful personality. Oh, right. oh, no, no. no! no. We don't like personality. Right. No, 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 We want to scrub the personality out of you. We want the antiseptic quarterback. We want Sam Darnold. I want Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. That would be glorious. I think the Browns are close. They're one more suitcase of draft picks away from being an 8-8 eight eight team and being competitive. And it's true. We saw that not only with the Jaguars, but also the Rams. And the Eagles, all these teams, yes, picking in the top 10 now in the playoffs. So it can happen and it can happen quickly. We just don't want Jeff Fisher to be the next coach of the Browns. That would be heartbreaking. Can Jeff Fisher get another NFL job at all? Do you think we'll see Jeff Fisher coaching in the NFL next year?
1: <laughs> he has connections.
2: he's talking to clubs that's my answer (laughs) so no no absolutely not please don't do this to us NFL please I don't
0: think Jeff Fisher is the reason why an NFL team would be successful or not but I don't think he's good so please don't go to the Browns if you end up worming your way back into the league Jeff now Sean McVay is a good coach I agree Sean McVay is a good coach no one would dare say that Sean McVay's not good. I think he's good. I think he's above replacement. That's the best I can say about any non-Belichick coach. And that's a huge compliment for me to anoint a coach above replacement. That's a big deal for me to say that after less than a full season. But the enthusiasm around Sean McVay has jumped the shark. People need something to talk about and they see this team going worst to first and they see a new coach and he's young and he must be the reason. And the same thing is happening now in San Francisco. They see a new quarterback there. Suddenly San Francisco's winning. Jimmy Garoppolo must be the reason. What if, what if, Sean
2: McVay coached Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, baby. Would that team ever lose? No, no, they could never lose.
0: (laughs) They could never lose, right? I mean, based on the narratives I'm reading on social media, that team would never lose. Jimmy Garoppolo's best comparable player is Tony Romo, and it's actually the closest comparable among quarterbacks in the database. These two guys are doppelgangers. They're the same guy. They even went to the same small school, Eastern Illinois. Right. It's crazy. So you use playerprofiler.com.
2: I do, yeah. I've used it once or twice, yeah. What
0: are your favorite comps on playerprofiler.com?
2: Well, in the uh, in the, the the draft process this, this past summer, Um, I was really into, and I still am the OJ Howard to Greg Olson comp because I think that his rookie season be damned. I think Howard is literally a clone of Olson, but Greg Olson wasn't good for the first two seasons either. Exactly. Exactly. Way too perfect.
0: Can you imagine if LeBron James played football? Oh Oh
2: my God. That would be phenomenal. I got a couple more for you. Paul Richardson to Emmanuel Sanders because Sanders is my boy. I know P rich is your boy and that comp Helped me win some DFS money last year in the playoffs, so I got to shout yes. out to you on that one. I love Paul Richardson in Dynasty. Yes, yes. he's too. still
0: young, and he is the starter on the outside. So I like that combination of even though they're smaller, you have Doug Baldwin inside, Paul Richardson outside. I love that.
2: Yes, and then the last one I got to throw at you is Alvin Kamara being comp to beast mode. And I don't think that we really think about that because, you know— Marshawn Lynch is super old now, but Kamara's going to be a stud in this league for years to come. We all love him. And, you know, you just think about who beast mode was at, at his peak. I love seeing that comp right there.
0: Yeah, he's so explosive and they're the same size. I mean, you think of Alvin Kamara as being small, right? And you think of Marshawn Lynch being big ish, but they're both 215 pounds. Marshawn Lynch has put on more weight. I don't think he's 215 pounds anymore. I don't think he's getting on any scales anytime soon. I think he just continues to write down, you know, 218 pounds. But when he came into the league, he looked like Alvin Kamara, both stylistically and based on the athleticism metrics. It's a great comp. Now, talk about the hits, like Alvin Kamara, big hit, right? Who are your three biggest hits this off season,
2: yeah, I like to kind of do this with what I put pen to paper, um, so that it's out there for people. And I wrote an article about why Atlanta's offense was going to take a, a big step back. And yeah. yeah, you hate the coaching narratives, but that was a part of it for me. On top of the fact that it just, if you, when you look at the historic historical data, it's just so hard. Teams do not continue to operate at that rate of efficiency. So just overall, that one was obvious.
0: Now it's not just the overall efficiency, in particular, their red zone efficiency. Atlanta's red zone efficiency last year was so far out on the graph Away from the average NFL team, that that reversion was coming in 2017. And when you start to peel back the touch, and when you start to peel off touchdowns from all these players, from Julio Jones to Devonte Freeman, especially right. Tevin Coleman, yes, yes, this is how you see their fantasy points per game decline at a similar rate from 2016 to 2017. Follow the touchdowns. You always want to fade last year's red zone monsters. If you have extreme red zone efficiency, do not draft that guy the following year. Stay away.
2: Yeah, especially because we know touchdowns from year to year can vary extreme, very widely. So
0: one of the most random events in all of sports. Yes. the NFL touchdown.
2: Yeah, and they've regressed it in a big way, and it's it's been disappointing, but not really, because we expected it, or you should have. Um, As expected. <laughs> I was extremely bullish on Michael Thomas, and I wasn't scared of the narrative that Drew Brees sped, spreads the ball around, because now, again, I do like looking at some coaching trends if there is a very large sample size of it. And so looking at Sean Payton's coaching trends in New Orleans, just where they're literally at the top of the league Year in and year out in pass attempts that told me that the volume was going to stay there for Michael Thomas. On top of the fact that just a quick look of the roster and of course Alvin Kamara has turned into be an absolute stud, but look looking at the roster compared to all these other teams that we were talking about, there was no Jimmy Graham on that team, and there you know the other wide receivers just weren't t- weren't telling me like, oh, yeah, Michael Thomas is just going to be kind of the 1A. No, he was the clear-cut alpha in this offense, Clear. and that's exactly what has happened. So I was super bullish on that, and that's paid off in a big way.
0: Follow the vacated targets. Yeah, that too. Brandon it. Cooks leaves, brings 115-plus targets with him. Where do you think those are going to go? Even in a season where the Saints' pass-to-run ratio declines significantly as the defense improved and the team found itself in more positive game script doesn't matter because Michael Thomas's target share rose substantially to offset the difference. And Michael, that's why Michael Thomas's floor was so high this off season.
2: Yeah. And he, he, on top of that, the dude is just so talented. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And he's good. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty good too. Uh, And then the last one, and I can't take a ton of credit because I did back off of this one. Once Sammy Watkins was acquired, but I did write an article on RotoViz why Robert Woods could could blow his ADP out of the water. And it's just been oh, so yeah. fun to watch this year, especially because I talked him up as my truth or status player on this very podcast in the preseason.
0: And we have it on the Roto Underworld YouTube channel. Just type in Roto Underworld Robert Woods in YouTube and you can hear Ben Cummins take on Robert Woods. From six months ago. Now, I had a couple big hits, especially on wide receivers. So we have Devin Funches before the season started. I thought Devin Funches would ascend this season and usurp Kelvin Benjamin on the depth chart because if you take a step back and you zoom out and you look at the broader profile, he had the early breakout age, dominant at the college level. His counting stats weren't impressive at Michigan, but that's because they had a running back playing quarterback. But on a relative basis, when you compared his passing game production to the other receivers in that Michigan passing game, he was super dominant, 80th percentile college dominator rating and an 80th percentile plus speed score. So when you cross those metrics and see where they intersect, dominator, breakout age, speed score, the list of comps for Devin Funchess were just hit after hit after hit after hit and the closest comp of all, ha ha ha! Brandon Marshall, analysts were laughing at that comp six months ago. No one's laughing at that comp now. My other hit in season on a wide receiver was Marquise Goodwin, because as soon as Yes. Pierre Garcon went down. Even with CJ Beathard at quarterback at that time, you go to Marquise Goodwin's profile, it's the definition of upside. It's why athleticism matters in athletics. You have a 90th percentile burst, agility, catch radius, every workout metric. He's above the 90th percentile. He's on par with Julio Jones in terms of athleticism. Julio Jones is a better athlete because he's bigger. So when you size adjust the metrics, Julio Jones scores better, but Marquise Goodwin's right there. And then suddenly you insert Jimmy Garoppolo, an above-average quarterback, rather than a below-average quarterback. And now, as we've seen already the last couple weeks, Marquise Goodwin fully unlocked He's the definition of an upside play in DFS, especially. Now, who are your three big misses this offseason?
2: Yeah, so this is where you can use me as an example because uh, I did kind of part of that same coaching trend article that I did on I did I was in on DeMarco Murray this year, and I'm just so upset with myself because I really have never – been in on DeMarco Murray throughout his entire career. And looking back at Mike Malarkey, who just absolutely loves to run the ball, love Marcus Mariota. He's been disappointing this year, but liked that. The new additions to the offense, the offensive line, the fact that I thought that they'd be a pretty good team. And that's kind of played out. The record at least shows that, but I don't think they're really a contender at all. But so with DeMarco Murray, you were
0: like a stock picker that refuses to buy as the stock is going up. And then once the stock reaches its absolute peak at $100 a share,
2: then you're buying. Bought in literally at the wrong time. Suddenly,
0: <laughs>
1: stock tanks. You're like, no, I played this wrong every step of the way. Damn it. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So I should have just trusted my gut on that one because the the gut was a little bit different. Like I've never really been in on this guy. Um, Absolutely love Derrick Henry. And that should have been more of a concern for me. So that was a really bad one. And I'm very frustrated with that. What about
0: Mike Gillisley?
2: Yeah, man. And I think we were uh, we both were pretty excited about him before the season. I mean, I went back and watched every single snap that he played the year before and fell in love with the talent. And then, of course, the upside in New England's offense with what could have been, and it was an absolute miss. But I will say, I did protect myself with Rex Goathead in some leagues, and he—he's uh, helped. You know, he Goathead has helped me to a dynasty to be in a dynasty championship this week. So it wasn't like I went all in. Um, I still understood the risk, and I still protected myself with some Goathead shares as well.
0: The lesson there is you don't chase last year's touchdowns, just like you don't chase last year's red zone efficiency in Atlanta. You don't chase last year's rushing touchdowns in New England. I liked Deion Lewis this summer only because he was the least expensive. Right, right. Just throw my papers up in the air, admit I don't know what's going to happen with the Patriots' backfield, and just take the least expensive guy. Now, looking at incumbent running backs like a Deion Lewis, like a Rex Goathead, How many incumbent running backs that are in starting jobs right now are at risk next season to either have their workload throttled back, their role marginalized, or released altogether?
2: So I count 16, which would be half the league, and we can go through them if you want.
0: List the guys that you think are at risk, because we now have to start shifting over to a dynasty conversation with a lot of fantasy gamers are not in the fantasy championship. So we have to start thinking about looking at the league from a dynasty perspective. Do not overpay for anyone. Do not, you should not be, at this point in the season in dynasty, you should not be trading for any running back except the most elite talents at the position. How many running backs are at risk for you?
2: Yeah, so I got the Colts with Frank Gore. I got the Jets with Powell and Matt Forte. I got the Lions with Abdullah, who Abdullah's essentially been benched, uh, at least last week he was. Uh, I got the paid Abdullah's Yeah. I got the Patriots. We don't know what's going to happen there. We just touched on that. I got the Browns with Crowell and Duke Johnson. We don't really know. Definitely the Buccaneers with Doug Martin. He seems done in Tampa Bay. Goodbye. Uh, Panthers. Uh, not really sure what's going to happen with Jonathan Stewart. He's had the most carries on the team by far. Bye Jonathan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Broncos with CJ Anderson, Redskins. I like some Ajay P. Ryan, but we don't really know if that's going to continue or not because he just kind of Don't assume that just because a rookie running
0: back took over this season at some point that it's going to be his job next year. Do you remember a running back named Trey Mason? Yes, absolutely. For the Rams, he was an exciting young running back, took over the starting job in St. Louis at the time, and then what happened? The team drafted Todd Gurley! Oh, shocking twist! We have not heard Trey Mason's name since the commissioner said the name Todd Gurley at the podium.
2: Because running back is all about volume. So that's probably one of the biggest traps you don't want to fall into is, oh, P. Ryan's the starter. I mean, people did this with Rob Kelly last year. Oh, Rob Kelly's the guy. No, it's, you have to look at the situation and why they became the guy. And when uh, a running back that, you know, like Samaj Piran, who I do like, but the team has not invested a ton in, becomes the starter just because of an injury. You have to be careful about that. The Titans with DeMarco Murray is another one because I think we all are on board that Derrick oh, yeah. Henry's the stud next year. Most of these running
0: backs are. The biggest risk for most of these running backs is the NFL draft Yes, because there's an incredibly talented running back class coming. Absolutely. It is like an ominous cloud hanging over a lot of NFL incumbents. The incoming class, the Saquon Barclays, the Darius Geist, the Nick Chubb, the Sony Michelle. I can go on and 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 on. But in the case of Tennessee... I think Derrick Henry is guaranteed to be the workhorse next year. It makes DeMarco Murray expendable. So DeMarco Murray will be betrayed by a running back on his own team as opposed to the NFL draft rendering him obsolete
2: yeah and a couple more I think uh, it's pretty obvious that Carlos Hyde is going to be done with the 49ers the Seahawks don't have a running back the Giants don't have a running back the Ravens with Alex Collins Alex Collins has been good but again that's another one of those situations where you it's a fun story it's a fun story but he's a street free agent yes we have to we have to acknowledge that we don't no, the Packers, you got Jamal Williams, you got Aaron Jones, you got Ty Montgomery who will be coming back. We don't know how that's going to play out. And then the Texans with Lamar Miller, who is probably on his way out. I mean, he's just really not that good.
0: You have to throw Marshawn Lynch in there. Yes. Marshawn Lynch may not be back next year, or he may be brought back in a more limited role. I can see the Raiders drafting Saquon Barkley, if he's available. I think Saquon Barkley would look great in black and silver. Be careful projecting Kenyon Drake to retain his role, his starting job next year. He blew up when Damian Williams got hurt. Be careful, penciling in former mid-round pick Jordan Howard. Mm -hmm. Jordan Howard has flamed out, and you should not be surprised when the Chicago Bears go out and draft a running back with much higher draft capital than the fantasy community is ready for. Don't just assume that Jay Ajayi is the starter in Philadelphia next year. It goes on and on and on and on. I think there's 20-plus teams where we could see significant running back turnover next year, which is the most I've ever seen in fantasy football. Be prepared to be stunned by the necessary running back turnover that happens when you're in the midst of an RB renaissance, which we are right now. That's a bold prediction, right? That's a very bold prediction. Give me three more bold predictions for this season.
2: Well, the first one correlates with what we were just talking about. I think Derrick Henry's a top seven running back next year in fantasy. Um, The second one is going to be that the Denver Broncos, my squad, are going to sign Kirk Cousins in the offseason, and he's going to make DT and Emmanuel Sanders both return to form next year. And the third one, and this is why I hinted at it a little bit, so I think Mike Wallace has gone in free agency And I think Perryman is just a bust. So I'm going to say that Chris Moore, who if you go to player profile, you can see he's got a pretty athletic profile. I'm going to say he is a starting wide receiver for the Ravens next year and finishes as a top 24 wide receiver.
0: Love it. Love the bold wide receiver calls. I do believe that Marcus Mariota will outscore Deshaun Watson next year. Okay, I like Mariota. I'm on Team Mariota. Because when you go back and you look at their respective efficiencies, Deshaun Watson essentially had Marcus Mariota's 2016 season. Just that in 2016, Mariota didn't have DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. He was throwing to Rashard Matthews and Tajay Sharp. This is just one of those outlier bust seasons that all quarterbacks are susceptible to. And I think that's what we're seeing with Marcus Mariota. And I think that the real Marcus Mariota, the Marcus Mariota we saw at Oregon, the Marcus Mariota we saw the first two seasons in the NFL, the Marcus Mariota we've come to know is the real Marcus Mariota, and he will reassert himself as a top fantasy quarterback next season. And I think that Deshaun Watson's production was unsustainable all along, and I think that As NFL teams break down Deshaun Watson film over the offseason, they see areas where they perhaps could have intercepted a pass, could have jumped a route, that Deshaun Watson's tendencies will be part of the defensive game plan in 2018, and that will be a significant challenge for him to overcome, as well as just the natural variance that quarterbacks face year to year. That's why I believe Marcus Mariota will score more fantasy football points next season than Deshaun Watson. I also believe Corey Davis will be a top 10 fantasy receiver. Don't at me. Don't at me. Like Devin Funches, I like to zoom out and recall this player's age-adjusted dominance at the college level. And you could argue that Corey Davis was the best college prospect of the last decade. That's what I'm going to fall back on. And finally, I believe Austin Safarian Jenkins will be a top three tight end next season. Remember, he had at least three touchdowns, maybe five, ripped away from him at the goal line by either opponents, referees, the ground, an invisible force field around the end zone, preventing (laughs) Austin Safarian Jenkins from scoring six points. That's not going to happen next year. There will be a touchdown reversion for Austin Safarian Jenkins next year. And the tight end position will be as weak as it's ever been again next year as the Jason Wittens and the Delaney Walkers reach their mid thirties and are no longer fantasy relevant. You will see Austin Safarian Jenkins rise and you might say, well, I'm doing the math here. You have to put in, well, in the top three, you have Zach Ertz, you have Rob Gronkowski, and you have Travis Kelsey. There's no room for Austin Severian Jenkins' fantasy mansion. I'm doing the math here. You're not—this this hot takes you too hot. It's just way too hot. You're not realistic. And I'm saying, yes, I am realistic because the tight end position is the most injury-prone in sports— so one of those three tight ends will get hurt, allowing Austin Safarian Jenkins to become a top three tight end. Look at Jordan Reed. I also believe Jordan Reed will retire in 2018. I think Jordan Reed has already played his last snap in the NFL. There it is. The boldest of the bold. Now, Adam Thielen was a bold call this past offseason. We mentioned Devin Funches. Are there any other league-winning wide receivers that you can recall from from this summer? Would Robert Woods be that guy for you? You know, league-winning, late-round wide receivers.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, he kind of got hurt there for a little bit. But he was balling before, and he comes back, and he's instantly right back into it. So he's one of them. But then I got two more for you. Marvin Jones is the wide receiver 12 in PPR right now. Yes. He's been absolutely fantastic.
0: That's a great call. Yeah. I'm guilty of this.
2: Yeah. Marvin Jones
0: just escapes my mind he's just on the outskirts of my periphery i never consider him in these conversations and i need to
2: yeah and i think the uh, the lesson learned there is when when a wide receiver has a disappointing season and now you can get him at that value like we touched on don't do what i did and pay you know top dollar for demarco murray this year when you can get him at a very very late adp and he's still a starting wide receiver on a pass first team with a good quarterback You should probably invest just in case, and that's exactly what's happened with Marvin Jones.
0: He's in a super prime. He's 27 years old. Yeah, exactly. And he's number one in completed air yards on playerprofiler.com. Number one in air yards. I mean, we know that air yards are predictive season to season for wide receivers. Even last year, yeah, at Frisco Josh, Josh Hermsmeyer identified Marvin Jones as a best value wide receiver based on air yards, and here we
2: are. Yeah, Josh Hermsmeyer was all over it this summer, so shout out to him for sure. And I got one more to you. Robbie Anderson is the wide receiver 16 in PPR, and he had a stretch from week 7 all the way to week 13, where he caught at least one touchdown or had 100-plus receiving yards in every single game.
0: I know why. I know why I didn't consider Marvin Jones and Robbie Anderson because their names are Jones and Anderson. <laughs> that's why No, that's why. I think that's why. I think if they had cooler names, yeah, it would spark my curiosity and interest in these conversations. They would come to mind more quickly. If they had cool names, I would love. Them. Like if, you know, like let's just let's just do a thought experiment, right? Think about the Lions. Who's on that team? You have Golden Tate, right? Golden. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Right? And his nickname is Showtime. He gave himself that nickname. <laughs> so you have Showtime, Golden Tate. His name was already Golden. He didn't need the nickname Showtime. I don't know what the fuck he's thinking, <laughs> but okay. You're already Golden. Who needs more than one nickname, says Fantasy Mansion, a.k.a. The Father. <laughs> the other wide receivers on that team are Marvin Jones. And T.J. Jones, right? Two Jones, and then the other guy has a cool name, Kenny Galladay, right? Holiday Kenny Galladay sounds like Holiday, right? Juju Smith-Schuster, Juju, right? You know, I always think about Juju, right? So I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I have sexy name bias. That is such an embarrassing bias to admit to.
2: We should do a whole fantasy psychology show in the off season because I firmly believe this is a thing. I agree.
0: It has to be a thing. I think it's like Doug Baldwin, right? What's Baldwin? Baldwin's a piano, right? Yeah. Doug's not an exciting name. That's one of the least exciting first names that exists. That doesn't sound
2: like a good wide receiver.
0: How many new babies being born with the name Doug? It has to be (laughs) the trend chart on that one has to be falling right on new babies named Doug. But on the other end of the spectrum, you get a guy like Tyler Lockett, right? That's a cool name. Tyler Lockett. Remember in Dynasty Leagues, there was a time a year ago when Tyler Lockett was being drafted before Doug Baldwin. That was happening. It was. I remember. I remember these things. I have the memory of an elephant when it comes to Dynasty startup drafts from two years ago. (laughs) So we talked about this is the championship round for fantasy football. Congratulations to everyone in the championship. Actually, I don't care. I take <laughs> the, I'm taking that congratulations back. I really do not care at all if you're in the championship game. You win, you lose. I don't care. I do not care, listener. Are you in the championship game? Because, Ben, I, I care about your team's.
2: You're the guest on the show. Oh, thank you. And I care about your teams. Are you in any championship games this week? I am. I am in one. And I, that's what I was going to say is, does anybody care? But since you're telling me that you do, I appreciate I that.
0: care. I care. You're a guest. I don't care about the listeners. <laughs> Unless you're the patron. I care about you if you're a patron. If you're not a patron, you mean nothing to me. Nothing.
2: Go ahead. Your fantasy team. Uh uh, yeah, so I'm in the championship of One Dynasty League. I absolutely love this team. Shout out to Le'Veon Bell, Keenan Allen, my boy, I believed in you, Keenan, Kareem Hunt.
0: Bell and Keenan Allen. There you go.
2: Yeah, Kareem Hunt, Russell Wilson, Deion Lewis, and Woo! Rex Goathead, Woo! who I've been playing both Lewis and Goathead, Jarvis Landry, Doug Baldwin, Brandon Cooks, Jarek McKinnon, et cetera, et cetera. What? Absolutely love this Dynasty team. Congratulations
0: on your fantasy championship, Ben Cummins.
2: Thank you. I hope I win it. I'm feeling good about it. How about you, Manchin? I care about you as well.
0: I'm about to win all my leagues. Okay. (laughs) So here's a question. Which players will be drafted in the first round next year? Give me one through 12. Go.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't really have an order for you, but I do think that Alvin Kamara is a lock. You know somebody's going to do it, even if Mark Ingram's still there. Um, I got Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, Todd Gurley... Odell Beckham should still be a first-round pick. Uh, I think Saquon Barkley is probably going to find his way there if he finds a fair landing spot. He will. He's going to be in there. You,
1: You can't imagine, Ben, what
2: the
0: Saquon Barkley hype is going to look like six months from now. I'm telling you now. I'm giving you tomorrow's newspaper. Not tomorrow's newspaper. I'm giving you the newspaper being printed six months from now. Oh, yeah. His ADP will be a fireworks display in the sky six months from now. Book it. It doesn't matter what team he goes
2: to. The hype will be extraordinary. Yeah, so I think that has us up to nine. Um, do you think that Mark Ingram is going to be on the Saints next year? No. So if Ingram was still on the Saints, then I would I would see people pulling the trigger on him. But since he's leaving teams, I don't see that happening. Um, I think people are going to be thrilled to get Julio Jones as a back end of the first round wide receiver. So that would be, nope, that would be 10, nope. but see, this is where nope. I'm at. So the the nine that I said, I feel strongly about, but I need you to help me out with those last three. Where's Melvin Gordon. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The guaranteed volume. I like that. Where's Kareem hunt. Yeah. Okay. Guaranteed volume. I like it. So that gets us to 11.
0: What happens when Leonard Fournette wins the Super Bowl MVP? <laughs> Then he's going to be a first-round pick, of course. So, yeah, there you go. My question is, is it possible that only two wide receivers, Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins, get drafted in the first round? That – The first round is dominated by running backs next year because RB thirst is real. It absolutely is. Don't forget Devontae Freeman. Devontae Freeman can finish the season strong and he's the highest paid running back in the NFL right now. So just signed a big extension heading into next year. No reason to think that Devontae Freeman won't be Devontae Freeman. What about LaShawn McCoy? LaShawn McCoy is going to be 30 years old. Fantasy gamers will be predicting that he will fall off a production cliff. I know it. You can write that down. That's already happening.
2: 100% write that down. Yes.
0: But he was a top five running back this year. So you have all these running backs that you can make cases for being drafted in the first round. I think that necessarily bumps the receivers out of the first round. Certainly Julio Jones, no longer a first round pick. Shouldn't have been a first round pick this year. I can see it for sure. The fear around Odell Beckham Jr. coming back from injury without a quarterback will push him out of the first round.
2: It's crazy to think, but yeah, we got to know who his quarterback is because that kind of is a big deal.
0: It is a big deal. Now, what's the biggest lesson you've learned From your ramped up DFS play this year, because now that you're co-hosting a DFS podcast, you're just more immersed in the world of DFS from that immersion.
2: What's the best advice you've gleaned? I'm going to I'm always going to be big on ownership percentage, um, which really isn't something that you need to care about much at all. Playing cash. But I love to play in the tournaments and who doesn't because we're trying to win that big money. And so, I, you know, you have to pay attention to ownership percentage and you have to pay attention to recency bias. So I'm always going to talk about, you know, like I kind of brought up earlier, like I, I I see Dak Prescott as a very intriguing tournament play because he's in a spot that I like and I see him being very low owned. But that is not the end all be all. And there can be a time where you do overthink that and start creating these insane tournament teams that you know just really don't have a chance and I'm not saying don't do that because if they all hit at their high end of the spectrum and they all your entire team blows up then that's what you want but what I'm trying to say is you can have a mixture of some safety on top of some other guys that allow your, your tournament team to get unique. It doesn't have to be nine straight unique players. You can lock in some free squares, and you've probably hear, you know heard that term thrown out a lot. And the easiest way to get free squares is at the running back position because kind of like we just talked about with all of these open running back spots, the re- really the main thing that we care about in all fantasy football, especially DFS, is the volume. Are you going to get the touches? And when we have running backs that we know are going to get the touches, that's the easiest position to project. So when you have that's a Giovanni right. Bernard at $3,100 and he is the only running back on the team a couple of weeks ago, you play him on your tournament team too, even if he's going to be 50% owned because you still have eight other um, you know positions or, or roster spots where you can get unique on your team after you lock in the easy guaranteed volume and points.
0: Well, I'll agree and disagree. I agree, lock in the free squares, always. But you never have to worry about those inexpensive free square backs getting to an ownership level that's too high. Because even Samaj Perine Ryan a couple weeks ago, where he was essentially mispriced on DraftKings with no Rob Kelly and no Chris Thompson, it didn't matter. You had to play him based on value alone. And you don't need to worry about the ownership on those guys because... So many fantasy gamers aren't even considering the inexpensive running backs. The thirst for the running back has gotten so high that most DFS rosters are reverse engineered. How do I get the top running backs on my roster? How do I get Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley on my roster? And then I construct my roster backwards from there. So I rarely see the free square running backs ownership get so high that it's reason enough to walk away from that free square, right? It's just a very rare occurrence because there's usually something about that player, that situation or the matchup that convinces a significant number of DFS players that they need to go elsewhere for running back production, or they're just starting the process by locking in Bell and Gurley. Now, where the ownership, I think, needs to be considered most is when you're deciding which expensive running back to play in GPPs. You do not want to spend a lot of money on a very high owned running back. We don't have to worry about this with quarterbacks or wide receivers generally because the player pool is so deep at quarterback and at wide receiver. You're not going to see any player crest 40% ownership. It's not going to happen, right? But with running back, it certainly can, especially when you see a Hunt or a Bell or a Gurley head into an exceptional matchup. Those are the situations where I think you fade that running back in GPPs because, because the beauty is you can reallocate the funds that would be dedicated to a player with a huge price tag to other positions and then you get off that highest owned running back of the week. That's... Where ownership needs to be considered the most heavily is when one of the most expensive running backs is walking into a premium matchup. I do not like to play that back in GPPs because in any given week, because the NFL is so random, that running back could be facing significant negative game script in the second half. Right. And when everyone's expecting that running back to get carries against a soft matchup, suddenly those carries don't materialize when the expectation was, oh, let's go to best case scenario on this guy. This guy's ceiling is 30 fantasy points that doesn't happen. No one that played that running back that week is on that GPP leaderboard.
2: I think one of the most fun aspects of DFS is literally the slate is it's it's, it's, its its own puzzle that you have to put together. And so if there are cheaper options or even expensive guys up there with the guy that everyone's talking about and the matchup is great. What about the expensive contrarian
0: option? Exactly. Exactly. Where you have a Le'Veon Bell going up against what is thought to be a stout run defense. That's my favorite in GPPs.
2: Yeah. So if those guys make sense, if it's a slate where, you know, there are other options that you personally feel good about then it does make sense to, to pivot to them because you can get them at a lower ownership percentage. And the, the goal in tournaments, shout out to Jonathan Bales, who is one of the smartest DFS minds out there, is he, ta- he talks about this in his book. You want to predict ownership percentage over what you actually think is going to happen on the field in tournaments because everybody that you're playing against – is trying to predict what's gonna happen on the field, obviously, but not enough people look at the ownership percentage, and that's what matters in tournaments, because if you can pivot off of somebody that's highly owned, they bust, and you get a lower-owned guy, which is basically what you're talking about, Matt, that blows up and outscores that person, now you just gotta leg up on all of those people in the field, and that's important, because in tournaments, the only thing that matters is finishing at the top of the leaderboard. That's the only way that your money really pays off. If not, you're essentially somewhat playing a 50-50 cash game because you're not winning enough money. So that absolutely makes sense. But I would just say that you have to personally feel good about the option that you're pivoting to. And sometimes the matchup just makes way too much sense. Like, oh, Gurley has so much guaranteed volume and the matchup is so nice And there's not really any options that I feel good about that can replace him. So I absolutely think that no matter what the ownership percentage is, even for a stud like a Gurley or a Bell, same thing I said about Gio, you can lock him in and then find Ways to get, make your lineup contrarian with your eight other roster spots. And the easiest way to get contrarian is at the wide receiver position because that is a much tougher position to project week to week because they just that's are right. inherent. They just give into so much more variance because they don't see as many opportunities. So, because of that, you can have a week where you have 30 receiving yards and another week where you have 160 and two touchdowns. And that's where you want to get low ownership because if your wide receiver blows up, boom. Now you're sitting pretty.
0: Here's an example. Recency bias. Here's an example of what... I think this is the example that wraps up everything we're talking about. Last week, Kareem Hunt scored 32.6 fantasy points. And the narrative around Kareem Hunt on social media is he's back. He's back. All the non-Kareem Hunt true believers. Right. (laughs) Those without conviction in Kareem Hunt. If you abandon Kareem Hunt at any point in this season, you deserve... (laughs) this kareem hunt fuck you week 15 performance this is in your face non-believers right so now the enthusiasm around kareem hunt is building now we're heading into week 16 who does he face oh the miami dolphins who are allowing 26.5 fantasy points per game to opposing running backs That's top five in the NFL. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Kareem Hunt's ownership is going to be astronomical this week. So that's the perfect running back that I would happily write down as a chalk play in cash games. Yes. But absolutely not touch in GPPs, hoping that this giant pool of my opponents playing Kareem Hunt get blown up by Kareem Hunt, who is susceptible. Yes to posting a game under 10 fantasy points. We've seen him do it multiple times this year. He had a whole swath of games in the middle of the season where that's all he was doing. Not that long ago. Was giving you 10 fantasy points. That wasn't that long ago. We know Kareem Hunt's floor is low. Yes. So this is the perfect week to see an expensive running back with high projected ownership and key on him and say, that's the one fucking guy I'm not playing this week. And back to
2: what I was saying, because I think there's so many good options this week, that makes what you're saying very easy to do. Right.
0: Yeah, you can pivot off of Kareem Hunt easily
2: this week. So
0: who are your top chalk plays other than Kareem Hunt in Cash
2: this week? Well, I think Deion Lewis is the the obvious one, and I I will be playing him in cash. But again, it goes back to that conversation. That's it.
0: See, he's like a free square. Yeah, he's a free square. But his ownership will be lower than Kareem Hunt's. This is what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, he's a free square. I, I think that because there's a lot of options, I don't think he's a lock in tournaments at all, but he's a very obvious uh, cash game play. Rex Burkhead's not going to play, and he gets the Bills. The Bills, ninth worst in run DVOA, have allowed the eighth most rushing yards, and the most rushing yards per game over the past five weeks, which kind of correlates with them getting rid of Marcel Darius. And the other chalk play is
0: but this specter of
2: Mike Gillisley
0: right. will keep enough people yes. off Deion Lewis this yes. week, those people that are rushing out to roster Kareem Hunt.
2: Yeah, and there's too many people that are um, just gonna kind of look at names and oh Gillisley, so I can't play him. But when you really you know break it down, Deion Lewis has had double-digit carries in eight out of his last nine games and has averaged fourteen point one opportunities per game over that nine-game stretch. So he's getting the volume, plenty of volume, to pay off on an offense that is the New England Patriots.
0: And he has the efficiency going for him. He's the most elusive running back in the league. So his ceiling is well over 100 yards and multiple touchdowns.
2: Yeah, and I think another chalk play is Alvin Kamara. He comes back from his concussion, and he sees 19 opportunities right away, 89 total yards and a touchdown. We've seen what he's done all year. And he has a fantastic matchup against a Falcons defense where the Saints are at home. The Falcons are third worst in run DVOA. They've allowed the 10th most rushing yards per game over the past five weeks. And we know that... That historically, over the last two seasons, they have struggled mightily to cover pass-catching running backs out of the backfield. And that's where Alvin Kamara's upside goes through the roof. So I think those Woo-hoo! are two very, very chalky uh, RB plays this weekend.
0: What I love about Kamara is he's both a cash play and a GPP play because...
2: Exactly
0: what I was going to say. Yes. His upside yes. is so astronomical.
2: Absolutely. Who's the cheap quarterback we should be playing in cash? So I don't think that um, Drew Stanton is the worst idea, but that's not what I'm saying because this is cash. You want to be safe. It's just the fact that Stanton is so cheap that I think he's in play, but I wrote him up as more of a tournament play. But the guy I'm going to go with is Jared Goff because Goff is not super expensive. Um, and he's ninth in the league in passing yards. He's tied for seventh in pass touchdowns. He has Robert Woods back healthy now, my boy, and he gets a good matchup against a Titans defense that's 10th worst in pass DVOA, and that has allowed the eighth most passing yards on the season. We saw what Jimmy G just did to them. They're not a good pass defense. So I think this is a pretty good week to lock in that safety of golf.
0: Yeah, he's the perfect guy. At $6,100 on DraftKings. He's perfect.
2: Exactly. He busted last week, but it wasn't because of the, the offense. It was just because Todd Gurley went ham. So- you know, is Tyler really going to score four touchdowns two weeks in a row? Probably not. So this is probably going to boomerang back to Jared Goff. He's going to get some touchdowns. He's going to be a safe play for you.
0: We talked about Dion Lewis being a free square, but give us a sneaky, super inexpensive running back.
2: Yeah, I love this one. And it kind of takes me to another like uh, philosophical thing. It's Joe Mixon for me. And all signs point to him clearing concussion protocol. And really, Okay, so we're not dealing with a knee injury here, okay? So once a player, concussions are scary things, of course, but they're also extremely exploitable in DFS in tournaments because once a player clears concussion protocol, almost always their symptoms are gone, they're fine, and they're back to 100%. But so many people are afraid of a concussion or because they've missed some time due to recency bias, they don't play them, that Mixon is going to come in super, super low-owned this week He's a little bit more affordable than some of these other guys we're talking about. And before he got the concussion, he averaged 24 opportunities per game the two games prior. And he's at home against the Lions defense that ranks fifth worst in run DVOA on the season.
0: Now, I know some people will point to Mike Davis, Dallas Cowboys, soft run defense. We know this, but Seattle can't run the ball, okay? That's the problem. I'll go even less expensive. At that $4300 level on DraftKings, you have Samaje Perine and Peyton Barber. These are both inexpensive workhorse backs. But Carolina and Denver are both top 5 in the league fantasy points allowed to running backs, so no one will be playing Barber and Perine. Of course they're not cash plays. Of course. Of course you're not playing them in cash. But in GPPs, these running backs, they're inexpensive, they're getting volume, and they'll be low-owned. Inexpensive. Check. Volume. Check. Low-owned. Check. Inexpensive. Check. Volume. Check. Low-owned. Check. Ding, 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 ding. If you have to make a decision between Barber and Pirine, they're very similar backs in very similar situations. They're the exact same price. Here's the deciding factor. Samaje Pirine is at home. yes. Denver's coming cross-country. They don't want to be there. Pirine or Capri Bibbs, if Samajay P. Pirine doesn't play, at home against the Broncos, the matchup will chase everybody away. I love it. I like it. Now, which wide receiver provides the most upside for the price in GPPs?
2: Well, so I don't know if this is a, fun, a fantastic answer because he just scored two touchdowns last week, but I'm going back to Demir Bird because on DraftKings, he's 3500 Are you serious? I am because he's $3,500. So we're talking about, you know, upside for the price. He's still very cheap. And, I, you know, catching two touchdowns, I think the ownership is, is going to be higher for sure. But I still don't see him as a guy that's the ownership percentage is going to be so crazy that, like, you can't play him. And he has 4 3 speed. So even though he caught two touchdowns last week, he really didn't have much yards to go with it 25 yards.
0: He only had four targets, Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his snap share has never crested 60%.
2: Okay, okay. Well, he. I uh, so I'm just I'm just going with being cheap and being the fact that you've been trapped. Kelvin ben, Benjamin you're wrong. and Curtis ben, Samuel you're wrong. Just are just admit not you're not playing him.
0: You're not playing Demir Bird. You're not playing Demir Bird. admit it. Okay, okay. Well, You're not playing him. No. Admit it. Say I'm not playing Demir Bird. I was wrong. No, I'm not playing. I'm not
2: playing Demir Bird. <laughs> I'm trying, I was trying to find a cheap wide receiver. This is actually- It's fine. No, Vincent, this is not this the, is week the week to play the uber cheap no, wide receiver. No, no,
0: no. So do you have one? The mid-priced wide receivers are the place to go, are the sweet spot this week. Yeah, yeah. So that was a trick question, and you fell <laughs> for it. I was prepared to shred any wide receiver you mentioned. You were set up to fail there, Ben. <sighs>
2: I love it. The host chair gotcha. Do you have a guy for me, or are you or are you just trapping? There's nobody. No, there's nobody. I don't want <laughs> yeah, anybody. Like, I don't want any of I, these going super, super
0: cheap wide receivers. All the
2: guys are like the
0: mid-range price. It would be Keelan Cole, but I don't know. Right.
2: Yeah, I wanted to go back to Keelan Cole, but I mean that's too obvious. Keelan Cole's up to forty-seven hundred dollars. Right.
0: But here's what I'm talking about. Even though. Keelan Cole is a screaming value this week because he plays for the Jacksonville Jaguars, because he's a no-name receiver who many believe was a fluke. He's not a fluke. His ownership will not be as high as you might think. So I'm playing Keelan Cole in tournaments, not worrying about the ownership because there are so many wide receiver options. His ownership will necessarily be low in addition to the fact that he doesn't have a brand. The brand recognition simply is not there. That will keep plenty of people away from what is an exceptional value. Keelan Cole against the 49ers at $4,700. Yeah. I
2: like it. I like it. Is there a high profile wide receiver you're staying away from this week? Yeah. I don't have a problem not playing Mike Evans this week. And, you know, they, they just Jameis and Mike Evans really haven't given me a ton of confidence all year. He's on the road in Carolina, and the Panthers are a good pass defense. They're 7th best in pass DVOA. They've given up the 11th fewest passing yards. So I had somebody in my mentions already asking me, Juju Smith-Schuster or Mike Evans, and I said Juju Smith-Schuster.
0: I'm not playing Des Bryant this week. I'll admit something to you. I'm kind of done with Des Bryant. Okay. With Des Bryant, A, I'm over it, and B, the Seahawks have become a run funnel. This is going to be an Ezekiel Elliott week. Right. Look at last week. How did Sammy Watkins do last week?
2: Uh, How did Sammy Watkins do all season with Robert Woods in the lineup?
0: (laughs) Right. Sammy Watkins did nothing last week, even though Richard Sherman's not there. The problem for Sammy Watkins last week and the problem for Dez Bryant this week is there is a talented member of the secondary that remains in Seattle. His name is Shaq Griffin. Shaq Griffin is one of these rookie cornerbacks, one of these many rookie cornerbacks who is excelling. This season. I mean, this has been the year of the rookie cornerback. Shaq Griffin runs a 438 with a 131.5, 87th percentile burst score, and exceptional agility. His best comparable player is Sam Shields. I don't know how the Seahawks got him in the third round, but they did. It was the best pick of the 2017 draft Shaq Evans. He him he has the ability to to smother Dez Bryant this week and in a game that's already going to tilt toward Ezekiel Elliott, it's all the reason I need to stay away from Dez again. So who's your top tight end streamer this week?
2: I got to go back to Jesse James because there's no Antonio Brown. There's no Antonio Brown. James has had 17 targets over the past two weeks. He should have had a touchdown. And he's got a good matchup. We already talked about the uh, the Texans. So, you know, I mean, somebody that's going to readily be available in your league, most likely. So Jesse James, the outlaw.
0: I <laughs> The outlaw, Jesse James. <laughs> I'm clapping because you did it to me again. You found the player with the innocuous name that I simply don't pay attention to <laughs> because he has a boring first name and a boring first name for a last name. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not interested in Jesse James ever. He's also not athletic, has never been particularly productive on the football field going back to college. He's like one of those used car lot wind dancers at tight end. That's what he is. (laughs) So I never think about playing Jesse James, but without Antonio Brown, this is the week to play him, and I just totally forgot about him, and I'm not even sorry about it. Last question. I'll get you out of here on this which under the radar player do you qualify for truth or status on now this is not a rookie not a second year guy this is a guy buried on the depth chart but he's hanging around the league and you still believe he can break out eventually
2: well i don't know how i'm going to um one up robert woods but and i might be cheating because i think he's a second year guy but so i'm going to say chris moore who I, i did say a little bit earlier in the uh Regardless of the parameters that I just set up, Chris Moore is a good one because he doesn't have a
0: draft capital. He wasn't a high-round draft pick last season. Right. He's 24 years old. He'll be 25 next year. He was a fourth-round pick. So he does qualify. He also has a boring name, which is why I've never even thought about him. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we'll just keep the trend going. And I just think it's kind of what I was saying. Like, if you just look at this depth chart in Dynasty and kind of projecting forward, you want to look at those depth charts that are super easy to continue to move up. And Macklin and Mike Wallace are not getting anybody excited right now in their careers. Brashad Perryman's been a healthy scratch recently. Chris Moore is playing more snaps than him. He caught a touchdown against the Steelers a couple weeks ago. And I do think that, like, correlating back to the um, the upside for the price question – Chris Moore plays on Saturday, guys, and he is actually, with Jeremy Macklin out, a very interesting Saturday-only tournament play. So there you go. There you go. That's it. That's the answer. It's not
0: Demir Bird. It's absolutely Chris Moore. Chris Moore, there you go. You're making a very important point talking about the depth chart in Dynasty. You do not want to chase running backs based on depth chart position in Dynasty because running back depth charts are so fluid, as we talked about earlier. But that's not the case with wide receiver depth charts. They endure, and it's much more difficult for some late-round rookie wide receiver to rise up the depth chart. It just doesn't happen that way in the NFL. You don't see multiple rookies like Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams just suddenly rising all the way up to the top of the depth chart and commanding an 80% opportunity share like both Williams and Jones did in Green Bay at various points this season. That type of extreme depth chart movement just doesn't happen at the wide receiver position. The depth charts are much more static, so you know what you're getting when you... Invest in a Chris Moore simply based on projecting his 2018 opportunity. That's a safe wide receiver acquisition tactic in Dynasty, but that's not the way you go out shopping for running backs in Dynasty.
2: Acquire that under-the-radar wide receiver in Dynasty on the cheap and then hope that he blows up. Acquire that under-the-radar wide receiver on the cheap and then hope that he blows up. Say that again, but say it louder. Acquire that under-the-radar wide receiver in Dynasty on the cheap and then hope that he blows up. That's the show.
0: I have the memory of an elephant when it comes to dynasty startup drafts from two years ago. And Nick Foles would show up later in the stool of the Jacksonville defense. I meant that days after the Super Bowl, the Jacksonville Jaguars would shit out little pieces of Nick Foles. Literally shit him out, yes. Nick Foles would be Jacksonville Jaguars' defensive shit. No one will ever know that I was disorganized. You'll never know this is all deleted the one thing that you can guarantee will always show up in the outtakes is at any point in the show if you compliment the show or you laugh at one of my jokes
2: that's going in the outtakes finally ready I should have known you'd have me working for two and a half hours on a show doc two and a half hours you gotta come off well I know how you roll I know we're gonna mix a match and I gotta at least be somewhat prepared because you know I'm uh I'm I try to be a professional but you know you need to bring it
0: you can't just sleepwalk through another podcast that has a big audience you can't let that happen to you cultivate your own brand don't let yourself down
2: ben that is exactly right man so i'm I'm coming prepared
0: your acumen with dfs must be through the roof now
2: i mean it was before mr kelly and it's just even better now
0: If you have to listen to a show, if you just want to dip your toe in to see what I've been doing with the podcast, you're going to want to go back and listen to the the last episode of the Sonic Truth podcast, which is on our feed. Of course, yes, everyone's favorite, Nate Liss and company, the Sonic Truth. I think it was three shows ago called Ronald Jones Christmas Gift. Most of the show, we don't actually talk about fantasy football. (laughs) Which makes it great because someone in your position doesn't actually want to be inundated with, you know, player talk. Marshall Falk is no longer on television.
2: I noticed he wasn't there last week because I usually don't even watch pregame that much because I'm just setting my DFS lineups. But I had it on for a little bit. and I'm like, oh, Marshall Falk must have some family thing or something.
1: Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs)
0: What he did was not family friendly. You have to read the story on Deadspin because they have the lawsuit and all the things these guys were texting this woman and the incidents that she claim happened. And I'm sitting here going, wait a second. This is a big deal. Am I the only one that thinks this is a big deal?
1: (laughs) What's going on?
0: sports is an alternate reality it really is criticizing members of this industry that others have been historically afraid to mention on their podcast i have no problem naming names andy benoit is the worst analyst in the history of football coverage yeah he's bad inside his skull there is a hamster wheel running backwards The question everyone asks is, how the hell did he get hired full-time by a high-profile sports media organization? That makes no fucking sense.
2: Yeah, I'm looking for a job. Somebody pay me. I can do better than Andy Benoit.
0: Right. Do you have a pulse? Then yes, you can be better than Andy Benoit. Do you have working eyes? Yes. Okay, good. All right. In fact, I don't even think that that should be necessarily a disqualifier. Because I think a blind man could do better than Andy Benoit. Hermsmeyer, Silva, if you're good, we will give you credit for being good as well. Let's see if I can trap you in some of these questions. It's hard to get out of this podcast alive.
2: And I think when you ask about the Jeff Fisher question, I'm just going to laugh hysterically. That's a spoiler alert. What are you doing? I didn't think
0: this was going into the podcast. (laughs) To put that in the outtakes now, I can't let people hear this.
2: Literally shit him
0: out, yes. These offensive coordinators are only as good as the players they have. Oh, what? Who, but
1: how? <laughs> I, just I just can't. I just can't.
2: Literally shit him out, yes.
0: I mean, they just allowed Blake Bortles to throw for over 300 yards, three touchdowns, or was that, no, Jimmy Garoppolo. They just allowed... Jimmy Garoppolo to throw for well over 300 yards, another boom week. I think you had it right the first time, right? Because Jimmy G had the Titans. They just allowed Blake Bortles to throw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns without a turnover.
1: Without a turnover? Really?
0: Fuck Martavis Bryant and Cash. Literally shit him out, yes. Suddenly,
1: <laughs> stock tanks. You're like, no, I played this wrong every step of the way, damn
0: it. What if Sean McVay coached Jimmy Garoppolo?
2: Oh, baby. Would that team ever lose? No, no, they could never lose.
0: John Machada pre predicting it, me getting out ahead, getting enraged at it.
1: What do you think the reason is, John? You think it's Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson? You think they had a little bit to do with it? No, 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 it can't be. It can't be Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson. No, they're they're irrelevant. They're not even mentioned in this tweet. It must be Scott fucking Linehan. God damn it. Enough with the coach worshipping. Fuck.
0: Oh, Dak Prescott's going to be throwing to Ryan Switzer next year. That's yeah, going to be exciting. Yeah, right up there with Randy Moss and Calvin Joe. Fuck! Oh, yeah. You also look like Carson Wentz. He's a stud. Do you think we'll see Jeff Fisher coaching in the NFL next year? <laughs> and the closest comp of all, <laughs> Brandon Marshall. No one's laughing at that comp now. We have not heard Trey Mason's name since the commissioner said the name Todd Gurley at the podium.
2: Literally shit him out. Yes. I think
0: Saquon Barkley would look great in silver and gold, in uh, white and silver. Is it white and silver? Black and silver. Black and silver. An invisible force field around the end zone preventing Austin Safarian Jenkins from scoring six points. Literally shit him out. Yes. His name was already golden. He didn't need the nickname Showtime. I don't know what the fuck he's thinking. (laughs) But okay, you're already golden. Who needs more than one nickname? Says Fantasy Mansion, a.k.a. the Podfather. (laughs) I think a blind man could do better than Andy Benoit. Literally shit him out, yes. But I have sexy name bias. That is such an embarrassing bias to admit
2: to. How about you, Manchin? I care about you as well. I'm about to win all my leagues. Okay. Do you like podcasting? I do. I do. I love podcasting. Right? I'm so glad it's a thing. I
0: know. (laughs) Right? I mean, I wasn't sure it was going to be a thing five years ago. It was nascent, and fantasy football was out on the forefront, podcasting some of the first podcasts were fantasy football podcasts, and now we're inundated about 7500 podcasts and one of the things that the fantasy footballers have done is find a way to rise above the giant pool of available fantasy football podcasts so that's key to success there and i try to do the same by being provocative what happens when leonard fournette wins the super bowl mvp (laughs)
2: literally shit him out
0: yes when you listen to my show, you get bang for your buck with my show. I'm giving people huge shows. I'm not going to, you know nickel and dime. The expectation is, oh, I'm gonna get a lot of meat on this particular bone. Literally shit him out. Yes. The mid-priced wide receivers are the place to go are the sweet spot this week. So that was a trick question, and you fell for it. <laughs> the host chair gotcha. He's like one of those used car lot wind dancers at tight end. That's what he is. (laughs) This is the week to play him, and I just totally forgot about him, and I'm not even sorry about it. I'm about to win all my leagues.